Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, ELF listening to this week's episode of The Spit right now. Okay, so Julian Wilson. You kind of hit it on the head, but I think you missed a little bit here. If he retires completely, he probably loses some money. Yes, he is not winning heat. No, he will never, ever win heats again. No, he will never win the world title. Secondly, going to a competition and bringing your family, and then you stated that him having to now, you know, leave the family and focus and paddle out for a 30-minute heat, and he can't seem to focus, that's BS. What about those of us who leave every day for an eight-hour job? You know, we're not doing a shitty job because we can't stop focusing on our families. End of the day here, Julian Wilson sees the writing on the wall. But at the end of the day, yes, you're right. He's not coming back. He's done. Benito. Hey, love your guys' podcast. Love the spit. Love Scott Bass. Great insight. Keep it up, guys. Good job. Later. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks to athleticgreens.com slash surf and neatessentialsusa.com, who will be at the boardroom show this year. That's right. Neat Essentials is going to be at the boardroom along with Surf Splendor. And wow, wow. Shoot. I don't and know. who else? A lot of other people, 150 booths. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, September 25th and 26th. Basically two months from today, more or less. Okay. Two It'll be here in a flash. I know. I'm so busy. It's ridiculous. In a good way. I'm glad well, to be busy. You know how you can um, stay motivated and active through it all, Scott? Athleticgreens.com slash surf. Use our promo code, which is slash surf. It keeps us in business. And of course, you get a year free of vitamin D. Well, absolutely. And as you know, I'm a big fan of Athletic Greens and Need Essentials. And um, yeah, you know, to today's show. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was going to chime more. in. I was going to chime in with. I just yeah. got back from a trip, and I brought my athletic greens with me. Um, was it a surf trip? No. It was oh, okay. A family family trip. Well, I agree. It's key on travel. I mean, how much does your diet get messed up during travel? A lot. A lot. Holy Don't mackerel. have your. Don't have your Lorna Dunes handy. Exactly. <laughs> there was no Lorna Dune intake whatsoever. And as oh, soon as I got yeah. home, I, I had to glom onto the Lorna Dunes. So I actually saw them in the grocery store and I almost bought them, but I was making a banana pudding for like a get together. And I was, so I was buying two other cookies, Nilla wafers for the banana pudding and then a chocolate cookie to layer in there too. And I was like, I do want to try Lorna Dune, but is this really the time where I need Lorna Dune when I'm buying two other cookies? Man. So. Good about the Lorna's, bro. Maybe that'd be okay in banana pudding. It's okay in anything. Are you kidding me? It's okay in like lasagna. 
You know what I'm saying? Start, start dipping it in my athletic greens. Yeah, absolutely. Then it kind of cancels it out. You know, the good just fills in all those little crevices in the Lorna Dune. <laughs> Ingesting vitamins and minerals with the Lorna Dune. Lorna Dunes are pretty good, bros. Hey, you know what? As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Welcome. It is spit. It is Tuesday, July 27th. But you know what day it is in Japan, David? It's Wednesday. Um, And it's, yes, I do know. Yeah, go for it. It's, well, yeah, it's Wednesday. So it's a day later. Exciting. And I mean, gosh, I guess the opener is we have the first time ever gold medal winner in Olympic surfing, and it's pretty cool. I think it's a pretty cool thing. I mean, the entire competition wrapped up a mere seven hours ago. So this is hot breaking news. And uh, I got to say, it was exciting, actually. I feel great about it. I I don't, I mean, it could have, the waves could have been better, certainly. Yeah. But I didn't expect we'd have any waves at all. And the waves were very contestable. Plenty of consistency, of course. Do you want to talk about what the waves were like? Well, yeah, I mean, the, this tropical storm bore down on the nation of Japan and it produced this onshore wind, um, short period, you know, 10 second period, six to eight foot, um, you know, wind swell, basically storm swell. And so there was plenty of opportunity, plenty of ramps, right? The wind was great for aerials. We saw some of the most incredible, in my opinion, probably the greatest aerial ever performed in competition i think i agree i agree uh and and that was from gabe medina or no yeah that was gabe in my opinion was it idolo the idolo's idolo's one where it was after gabe gabe Mm -hmm. did the first one his very first wave in gabe's like second third round heat or whatever quarterfinal or semis i forget but and then idolo went out there and just stomped the most massive backside aerial just landing in like below the flats, like his transition was like a leg breaking spot. You know what I mean? You know, the only you you go ahead. You seem you're a little bit better at describing the aerial situation than me. The only thing that saved him, I think on that landing was his tail actually touched the lip as he was coming down. And the lip was already like almost hitting the trough of the wave, but it just ever so slightly just graced it. And I feel like that was a little bit of a cushion so that his ankles didn't take the full brunt of that impact. Yeah, it was amazing. And, um, and I mean, immediately my, my text with my buddies, my text chain with my buddies here in San Diego was like, how is that not a 10? In my opinion, that was a 10. I mean, that if they would have given tens across the board, everyone would have said, yes, there wouldn't have been anybody that said, no, I don't think. I mean, that was incredible. It's hard to argue against other than the fact that maybe somebody could do a turn and then an air like that, but they probably couldn't even because you needed that much speed to get that amplitude. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, okay. So they do a little fin check turn at the top. I mean, I mean, at some point, you know, it's like, do you give, do you give points for standing up? Right. I guess you do. I guess you do. But I mean, 
at this level, it's like, come on, we know they can all do check turns. At this level, I don't think you do. Actually, I I kind of agree with you. The one the one air is enough to warrant that. Yeah, the we've seen ride. it. We've seen it before, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, so for the record, he got a nine point seven six or nine point seven three. Right. Exactly. So this is key. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that we need to unpack. I'm not sure what the best order is. However, the the event had marginal surf and. I was kind of watching it and trying to explain to Lauren and I got together with some friends on Saturday night and they don't surf. So I was trying to kind of explain what's happening to them. And it's all very nebulous and not that thrilling and not that exciting, but there are consistently one or two surfers that will just show up and blow up no matter what, and just add excitement. And by the way, save whether it's the WSL or the Olympics or whatever, they'll save all of that kind of monotony and drudgery by doing something spectacular. And Idolo was that guy. This was a wave that would have been surfed to a six by any of the other competitors. I mean, I, I looked, I rewatched it just to kind of make that assessment. And I was thinking, what would Chloe have done on this wave? What would Caroline you know, Caroline Marks, Carissa Moore, uh, John John Florence, any of them have done on this wave, Kanoe Igarashi. It's like, okay, they would have done a turn, but it was kind of a separation on the wave. Then they would have scooted into that and they would have banked it. Maybe they do an air reverse. They would have got a six on that wave. Idolo just showing up and like imposing his will, whether it's pipeline, Chopu here is like, that is incredible. He deserves the gold medal, you know? It was, yeah. it was amazing. Totally agree. And, and it was full speed, full stomp, full on. There wasn't any, let me hold back here so I make sure I make this type of uh, tone or vibe that he, that he was putting out there on that maneuver. It was just, it was just full. I mean, I mean, the announcers expressed the excitement and the understanding of how incredible it was. And, and you know, frankly, I mean, look, the top four surfers in this event, um, you know, it was Idolo, it was Gabe, it was um, Owen Wright and Kanoe Igarashi. Pretty clear who the top two guys were, in my opinion. For sure, for sure. And um, I would like to unpack one thing because I missed this. So when Kanoe was surfing in his quarterfinal heat against um, Gabe, was it Gabe or was that the semis? I don't remember. <clears throat> well, he surfed against Gabe and, he, and Kanoe beat Gabe. And that must have been the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was to get into the, I forget how they worked it, but it, Gabe it started off. Super, yeah. And Gabe started off super strong and he, like, I think his first wave, he had like a 9.9 .9 or something or something pretty good, like an eight, three or something. And I missed because I, I missed Kanoa's wave that made oh. him get better. What did Kanoa do? Explain to me. Cause I apologize. I did not see his second ride that got him above Gabe. Gabe was, was big, sitting. Yeah. It was a big air reverse on the end section on his, like literally in the dying minute of the heat. It was a super clutch performance. This was a heat that everybody would have just presumed Gabriel was gonna yeah. win. Yeah. Um, and not going into the heat necessarily, but just by watching the first 20 minutes of the heat. Exactly. Like Gabe had it on lock. He does exactly what Gabe does. And he seemed to kind of nullify Kanoa. Kanoa got an opportunity at the end and he does, Kanoa's strength is not buckling under pressure. Kanoa is going to show up and I've said it a million times before. He's going to get two seven fives in every single heat. And yeah. often he'll then kind of increase on those scores, but he's going to get two seven fives 
whether he's at a terrible beach break or pipeline. And he just, that's what he did. He, he like, he needed the score. I don't remember exactly what he needed. It was more than that though. It might've been like in the eight range. Yeah. And yeah, he did a sick, he got a medium sized, good sized wave with a big ramp at the end, did a really sick air reverse, got the score deservedly. Yeah. And um, it was clutch. It was exactly okay. what you would hope to see from Japanese performer on Japanese soil with all the pressure of the world on him elevating his game. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear it because I didn't, I didn't see it and I wasn't sure if it was controversial or not. It sounds like it was just very clear cut. There was only one controversy I saw. Um, and it was with Julian Wilson against Gabriel Medina in the previous round mm. or maybe two rounds previous. Did you see that? No, I didn't watch that. So it's kind of important because this could be the very last heat that we ever see Julian Wilson surf. Right. Um, and basically Gabe kind of towards the end of the heat, Gabe needed a score and he ended up getting it. It was a 7.5, but he was outside of the contest zone. He was super far to the North. And so Gabe, um, um, they gave him the score. Gabe wins the heat. Julian and the Australian team went and filed a petition, like a formal protest to the ISA. But the ISA's response was that he was, Gabe was outside of the contest zone, but that doesn't result in any penalty. The only risk that the competitor kind of runs in that scenario is that the judges might not see you. So once you're outside of that zone, the judges aren't obligated to actually witness the wave, but in kind of practical terms, it was a two-man heat. They could see where Gabe was and they did witness the wave and then the, and the cameras got it too. And so they gave it a seven, five. So Julian's protest was denied. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That is interesting, right? Yeah. Julian's last competitive event was marred by a protest of his. Well, so meta, is it in. a metaphor for his career? <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily. Um, we'll get into Julian, some of the other losses, but first I want to kind of uh, give credit to where it's due. And firstly, we uh, leveled a lot of concern and criticism about what the Olympics would be like. And it was mainly centered around that the waves could be flat, yeah. non-existent, non-contestable. Yeah. I would like to commend everybody who committed to this thing because it ended up being awesome. And yeah. the amount of work involved and backlash and haters that you have to kind of overcome and sidestep and just keep trudging forward, not for the past month that we've been talking about it, but for years and decades for Fernando Aguirre. So Fernando Aguirre, of course, deserves the most kudos, but even kind of throughout the last couple of months, there's, and COVID and all of it, it was just like an seemingly unsurmountable thing. And for all the elements to align and for Swell to actually arrive was awesome. Um, so congrats to all of those people. We also deserve blame because we didn't discuss any of the female side for the last week or two leading up into this event. And Carissa Moore is the only American who actually brought home the gold for us. So I think we are kooks yeah. in that respect. I think we are kooks and congratulations to Carissa Moore. Um, I actually saw her first round heat and I didn't think she looked too sharp. She kind of barely got through it. She was losing at one point and uh, good, good honor. You know, that's, that's pretty cool. I'm stoked for, 
I agree with you, David. Basically, I don't think it could have gone any better understanding all this, you know, the situation that everybody was in. So the wave showed up. Yeah, it wasn't perfect J-Bay, but it was way better than we expected, which speaks loads to you and I and our whole thing about expectations, you know? Yeah, it does. And, um, and it was, the, the format was kind of, was a little bit lengthy, but um, that's just the nature of surf contests. But it's interesting when you put it side by side in context of the other competitions, you know, like, like the mountain biking was an, the final was an hour and a half. Like, and that's what they showed. They basically just showed the, the final 20 guys for an hour and a half. And I was like, this is kind of long. And then you think about the surfing and yeah, I guess the surfing finals were only maybe an hour and a half when you put the women's and the men's, the two gold medal matches. But, um, but you and I, who kind of digest all of it, it's the nature of surf contests. It's pretty long, it's pretty long wanna, to watch. I think this might be a good opportunity to listen to a listener line message. Did you get the one that I sent you this morning? Yeah, I did. From New Zealand? Yeah. Kia brothers. John here from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Now, I've just been watching the Olympics, um, you know, and I think we could probably gripe about the plethora, plethora of things that are perhaps didn't, aren't going so well, but I just wanted to point out something I think that, you know, you've flogged a dead horse about for a while, and that is the uh, small number of surfers. I can't do director, but I'd be thinking that uh, if I was um, wanting to adjust the WCT pet, CT, I'd be wanting to uh, vividly scale that right back to less surfers because how much nicer has it been to have a smaller field of competitors, both on the men's and women's? I know it's a funny number, but it's been great. Just something I'd point out. Aroha big love. Stay classy, team. Love what you do. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, as he said in his in his voicemail, we're sort of beating a dead horse here, but I think um, less surfers is a good thing. And, and you know, you, like I said, you and I have spoke about this at length numerous times, but we don't this is the need... First time we, this is the first time we've got to see it play out. Yeah. Look, they had 20 surfers. It was pretty... It was pretty... I thought it was great. I think, I think 16 surfers is fine. You know what I prefer about... I mean, I agree with you. Another kind of um, cool adjustment to the format was deciding on a third place finisher. Did you yeah. see this? Yeah. So traditionally in the CT format, um, whoever finishes in the semifinals gets an equal third. Right. Right? So this, they had the semifinalists who lose. So there's two semifinalists who would got, who would have gotten equal third in the CT format. But what they then did is made them surf against one another to see who would win the bronze medal. And I was like, this is so, first of all, I absolutely care who's third versus fourth. So why have I just resigned to accepting that there's going to be an equal third in every event and an equal fifth in every event? And okay, you guys are even, no, that's so stupid absolutely pick a third and a fourth and a fifth and not pick, but make them earn it. And secondly, we don't need all of that redundant surfing at the beginning of the event for CT events where it's the 33rd surfer surfing against the 28th surfer. And then they get to surf two or three heats. 
non-elimination. You know, it's like, no, what we, the people we want to see surfing redundantly are the top seated surfers. So no eliminations at the beginning, or I mean, all elimination rounds in the early rounds, as far as I'm concerned, weed out numbers 30 through 15. And then once we get to the point or eliminate all that entirely, but once we get to the pointy end of it, sure, then there can be a couple of redundancies, not for the sake of giving people a second chance, but for a sake of making somebody earn a legitimate third and a legitimate fourth. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. The only thing is, is that it does sort of speak against our desire to have the event run quicker. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying get rid of the back half of the BS and just include one or two more heats at the end where it's important. And yeah, you're right. I mean, look, if sure, it runs long if there's 20 surfers, but if there's 12, you can have this extra little heat and, you know, still run in one swell window in theory. Now, did NBC do any, um, was there any, like, did they show the medal ceremony on primetime TV or maybe they'll show it tonight because it, it ended so late last night? I don't know. I haven't been yeah. watching NBC. Because I'd like to, it'd be cool if they showed the, the medal ceremony, but I guess because... I mean, gosh, Carissa, they should show Carissa's, right? We've got an American winning gold. That's usually what they show. When an American wins gold, they'll usually show, you know, a tape delay version of the of the medal ceremony. So I hope they show that for Carissa's sake. How, Mother, how Mother are you Carissa. watching? How are you watching the event? Well, I so I was watching the event live through the NBC stream on the on the website, you know? And yeah. then of course at the same time I was watching primetime Olympics, you know, swimming and gymnastics and everything on the main, on my main television. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have regular cable, so I don't have NBC, but I was watching the website stream. What, what cable um, do you have? We don't have cable. We just oh, have, no we just watch like Netflix and that sort oh, of stuff. Okay. Okay. I mean, most, most networks have an app. So if you actually wanted to watch CNN or whatever, we could stream it on the app. Yeah. Um, so another couple of shout outs. Yes. Bianca Butendog. Hadn't even thought of her name since she fell <laughs> off tour, and which is a shame because when she was on tour, she was one of my favorites. I was always rooting for her. And so to see her uh, pop up in the draw, I was like, oh, sick. And she freaking blew up. Bianca surfed amazingly throughout the event yeah. and um, ended up being a finalist, actually. Ended up taking silver against Carissa. So that's huge for Bianca in South Africa. You know who I was secretly rooting for? Who? Thirty-six-year-old Silvana Lima. Yeah, she was kind of shredding, man. She was like, I, I think she was leading the heat up for a long time. I, but you know, she didn't go very far. But I she was lost, unfortunately, she drew Carissa in the early right. rounds. So the eventual gold medalist. Yeah, maybe that was the heat I saw. Maybe that was the heat where I, Carissa started off kind of slow, and Silvana was like banging that that shore break that end section where it kind of just bottoms out into like cement almost mm -hmm. and just pounds and she was you want to know the problem with silvana lima um throughout her entire career this has plagued her she falls at the end falling yeah it's like such a basic thing that you would think you need to figure out in surfing or skating or whatever and she freaking falls and she surfs incredibly well and will often, you know, get one huge score on the board and then just cannot back it up because she falls. And uh, I don't know how you don't tighten that up. Um, yeah. What else? Couple, so other um, shout outs. 
Amuro Tazuki got the bronze. Amuro Tazuki, the Japanese female surfer, uh, surfed amazingly throughout the event. She's only come onto my radar in the last year. She's on the seat. I don't even know if she's actually on the CT this year, but she's surfing a lot of heats, maybe by way of um, an injury wild card, or maybe she is on the CT. I'm not exactly sure, but I thought she's been surfing amazingly on the CT and she has a little bit of inconsistency. Um, so I think that's prevented her from really getting into that top five position, but her talent and certainly her style indicates that she'll probably be here for a long time to come. So when she showed up in the Olympics, I thought we would kind of see the same. I thought we would see her have moments of greatness, but probably be ousted by, you know, the uh, world class kind of competitors, but she didn't, she didn't falter at all. She ended up taking down Caroline Marks in that bronze heat, um, which I thought was amazing, you know, cause Caroline's the one who generally is super uh, sturdy and doesn't falter in those situations. So shout out to Amuro Tazuki. Yeah, it's weird. The Japanese surfers in general, you, you sense that they, their mental game is there. It's just more about their technique and their skill level. They just seem to, to be able to, to handle it. And even, yeah. even Hiroto, uh, the guy that I had picked to win it all, I think within the first 20 seconds of the heat, he was down by nine. Like, I think it was either Gabe or Idolo got like Gabe. a nine. Yeah, Gabe went out there and his first turn was just insane he stomped with insane air i think it was a nine three three actually you're right it was the it was the idolo air that we were talking about okay yeah and so immediately he's behind the eight ball for the next 35 minutes or whatever and you know he sort of chipped away at it and he did what he could do and the entire time he surfed not only obviously really great but he surfed with sort of um you know, the hope that maybe something, a miracle could happen. He didn't give up is my point. And I think the Japanese nationals, they seem to have that in, I don't know why, but they seem to have that in spades. Yeah. So he obviously um, was behind the eight ball because of Idolo's air, but then right after that, he was stuck inside for like 10 minutes in the impact zone, trying to make that paddle out and just getting flogged. So that didn't help either. I'd also like to make note of, um, I don't know, did you see Michelle Berez's heat where he was behind and he got that pretty deep barrel? I didn't see, see that. Uh, he got a really deep, deep barrel. And Barton Lynch was like, oh, my God, that could be the nine that, or the eight that he needs. You know, we've seen it before. Us surfers, we love the two, blah, blah, blah. And he got a 6.33. And Barton was like, well, maybe it's because all the technical stuff is really in the air these days. But I would argue, and I know you would too if you saw it, that this was an extremely technical tube. This was like behind the curtain, chocolatey, you know, not an easy thing to get through. For sure, you're like, oh, he's done. There's no way he made that. And then he comes through it, sort of semi-doggy-doored, and then set up and did a nice big top turn. And I was a little disappointed that the judging didn't go higher for a tube, that any surfer who's a surfer worth a salt was like that was incredible that was an incredible yeah. tube and the judges just didn't go there and and you know i guess that's the nature of the beast maybe when we go to chopu uh, in four years three years we'll see more obviously we'll see more of the tubes being scored and this was just more about technical game in the air this year yeah that's brutal i thought he was surfing incredibly he was not somebody who i expected to do well at this venue and i feel like he did his best surfing that i've seen in years yeah he surfed well. It's pretty spectacular. Um, so among the surfers who 
were kind of surprise losses. Hiroto Ohara, unfortunately, for the reasons you mentioned, Stephanie Gilmore, basically yeah. just, I mean, she showed up physically, but mentally or competitively, it was like she didn't even show up. Yeah, I'm trying to, I saw her heat. I'm trying to remember who beat her, but it was, it felt like number 70 in the world took her down it, or something. Which was really surprising because I felt like all the other surfers leveled up. Like yeah. everybody had a certain kind of spark that I don't know was always showing on the CT, but this was almost more important to them, you know? Yeah. Now, that was a bummer. That was a definite bummer because you just don't feel like in four years. I mean, how rad is it going to be when the women are at Chopu in four years or three gnarly. years, actually? Let's Dude, get Bianca Bootendog back there. That's going to be insane. Well, Bianca Bootendog can just yeah. build her career off the Olympics at this point. She I, doesn't even have to show up for CT. She should. You know what? She should. I'm, I'm okay with that. Now, a um, couple other shout outs I, I want to give. I know you have some more, but um, we need to give a big shout out to Timmy Patterson. Uh, the guy who shapes all of um, Idolo's boards. And I was talking to a friend of mine who's really tight with Timmy. And the basic vibe with Tim Patterson surfboards is just let's just get everything back to basics. Let's just get mm. everything to neutral. And I think you and I spoke about this last time, but Timmy Patterson's really about, like if you look at the basics of Idolo's boards, they come from a 1984 tri-fin. You know, oh, like yeah, the right. outline... And obviously fin placement and just rockers. Now, obviously they've changed some stuff. They've obviously changed rockers a little bit, but they're obviously closer to 1984 than they are to 1991. Yeah. You know, we flattened everything out and we've added volume and we got to get a little wider in the nose because the guys are doing aerials again now, you know, whereas, in, so the 84 outline is a really neutral, simple outline. And there's not much change, really, if you really look at it. Like, okay, we've added some double concave or some single concave. But the outline's the same. We might have thinned out the beak a little bit, but it's still volume up in the chest area. And it's a little flatter rocker. And maybe we added, you know, half of an inch of tail rocker. And, you know, of course, there's some minor tweaks for each design. You know, you got a beach break trifin, you got a point break trifin, blah, blah, blah. But uh, Timmy Patterson's boards, and I think, I think what we're going to see and this is what this is what I'm doing, by the way. So maybe it's just me kind of projecting, but I'm really neutralizing. I'm really kind of like coming back to basics, and um, because I've just gone, I've gone off the deep end with all sorts of different designs, and I've sort of lost my way. Is how I yeah. feel. I'm wondering. So you, generally, what happens with design is you go and experiment out on the fringe, but you find something there that's relevant, and you scale that back to kind of fit the more neutral general thing, but there was value in the experimentation. Did you find value in any of your experimentation? Well, I mean, so the way it's worked for me is I've found a board that was out there that really worked great. Rather than kind of building up to that out there board, I found a board that was out there that really worked great. And so to come back to neutral was hard because I never kind of, I don't know the yeah. way home. There's no breadcrumbs, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I've got, I've ridden some crazy boards. I went, wow, this board's fast. It must be the rail. Please put this rail on my board. And then that board turned to crap because I didn't have breadcrumbs to lead. And maybe it wasn't the rail. Maybe it was something else. But um, anyway, Timmy Patterson deserves a big shout out. And Matt Biolas, I mean, his board's won gold under Carissa's feet. Um, and, and another shout out to Chris Cote. I don't know if you saw his Instagram this morning, but. Um, I did. 
pretty emotional Chris Cote, I thought, and I get it, you know, when you're announcing the very first ever gold medal uh, on the beach, you know, um, I get choked up when I'm announcing the winner of the friggin' boardroom icons of foam shape off, you know? Totally. And so um, it's pretty cool for Chris. So good job, Chris Cote. I'm stoked on Chris. And Congrats for getting that role too. I mean, him, Barton, um, Sal, uh, Joe Turpel, all from our kind of awareness, got the invites, went out there and did their job. So congrats to all of them. But I agree with you with Chris Cote. Um, it's bigger than all of us. You know what yeah. I mean? Like our little surf events, the CT events that we do, it's insular, it's our own thing. And, you know, but it's, I don't know, this is just bigger than all of us. It's part of a much bigger global community. Okay, let me then now throw a different, let me throw a curveball at you and the listeners. Because I was talking to some friends about this and we kind of came up with a theory, not a theory, but a thought. And the thought is that there are too many sports in the Olympics. And if that, if we all agree that there are too many sports in the Olympics, and maybe that's a huge leap right in, in and of itself, but if we agree that that's the case, couldn't we get rid of sports that we don't need? And how do we determine sports that we don't need? And here's how my friends and I figured it out. If you are a sport and your ultimate event isn't the Olympic games, right? then you shouldn't be in the Olympic games. In other words, golf, golf's ultimate event are, there's four of them really. Like there's the masters, the British open, like those four majors are the big ones. And you ask any golfer and that's the way it's been for 150 years, right? Tennis is the same way. Do we really need tennis in the Olympics? Half, some of the guys don't even show up. They're like, ah, I'm good. I've won Wimbledon. You know what I mean? Like, and um, you know, others like baseball, the world series, basketball, quite frankly, the best international players in the world play in the NBA. Yep. They don't need basketball in the Olympics. Um, it's a good point. I, I thought you were going to. I would suggest you surfing's one of those. The ultimate event in surfing is what? Pipe. Exactly. It, it rolls off the tongue so naturally. Everyone knows it. The Pipe Masters is the ultimate event in surfing. And to win the Pipe Masters, I would argue, is a much bigger deal than winning an Olympic gold. Now, maybe well, that changes it, over take, time. It'll take time, yeah, to really determine that because right now the gold feels like the ultimate. More important than the pipe masters. Right I'm now, sure for the athletes it might be because you're representing nations and stuff like that. And because there's only one, you know, like there's yeah. a couple dozen pipe masters. There's only one Olympic gold medalist. For one some. every And one every four years. So well, there's so, that. Yeah. So I don't know. I I want to agree because especially when you say baseball it's like i don't remember any gold medal baseball winners you know <laughs> like like there it has zero relevance or importance for a professional baseball player essentially but i think maybe the value in the olympics is it's uh a, it exists outside of all of the bureaucracy and whatever political I don't know, influence that professional sporting might have. And not that all professional sporting does, but they're subject to it. They're subject to the brands that are sponsoring. They're subject to, I don't know, whatever deals are in place. And I think the Olympics is kind of more pure in that sense. It's just, you know, you don't bit. have to, you don't have to even participate in the NBA. It, I mean, I don't know how it works for the criteria for getting Olympians into the basketball 
uh, competition. But in theory, you could probably not be in the NBA, come from some obscure country and potentially win gold against NBA stars. That would be exciting, right? Well, I, I, that would be exciting. That's like a Hollywood script. I doubt that's ever going to happen. Um, the NBA, specifically basketball, we're, we might lose this year. Like we've already lost to France and, and we have an uphill battle for the United States to win gold. We, I mean, odds are we're going to win every game from that. We have to win every game from here on out. But my point is, is that we don't even have the best team. Like the, our USA uh, basketball team this year isn't the best team we could field. Like LeBron James isn't on the team. Got it. You know what I mean? Like, and so they're kind of mailing it in. And guys Got are going, it. nah, I'll pass. We, you know, we already had the dream team in 04 or whatever it was at Barcelona and we're good. But no, Got that was it. 92 or something. Anyway, my point is, I think that if you really, like, if you think about swimming, what's the most important event for swimming? It's the Olympics. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. And so, and like for, for like, you know, for archery, you know, it's definitely the Olympics. Like that's the biggest deal. Now for surfing, it's the pipe masters and for golf, it's the masters and for tennis, it's the U S open or Wimbledon. Right. And, for, and so I think those sports that it's just very obvious that the Olympic games, isn't the most important event on their schedule. Then I have a little, I could see how, you know what, get rid of them. Give the, give the mojo <clears throat> to the guy that's <clears throat> doing archery or whatever. So kickback against that idea is, yeah what do you care how many sports there are in the Olympics? There's so many people that love baseball that are yeah. thrilled. And by the way, the entire baseball organization would never let them get kicked off there. They recognize it as a big, Oh yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I agree. So, I'm just so like, what do you care? You don't I'm have just to watch bring, it. I'm bringing up for the sake of this podcast. I, I actually, I'm okay with it. I'm stoked that surfing's in it. But the reason I think it came to the forefront for me and my buddies and my son brought it up too is that right now it feels like for skateboarding, the Olympics are the most important event. But for surfing, it doesn't feel that way. And part of it is COVID. There just haven't been any skate competitions at all. Yeah. Very, very few. And, and my son was saying, look, the big thing in skateboarding is just put out an edit. Like if you put right. out the sickest edit, then you, won, you win. You win skateboarding yeah. with the sickest right. edit. It has nothing to do with competition. So for a, an Olympic worldwide competition for skateboarding, it's a big deal. And it just doesn't feel quite that way with some other sports. That's all. And basketball comes to mind specifically. What do you, um, we expressed a lot of concern that the Olympics would make surfing more popular than it's ever been. And then our beaches would be more crowded and all that sort of stuff. What are your thoughts on that now? I don't, I think we I don't think it can get more popular. I think it's really, really, really popular. Like it's like maxed out popular. I think it's actually going to, I think after every, after this COVID thing like dies down in the news cycle and everything, I think everything kind of pulls back a little bit. Do you think the Olympics will have any play or role in any of that? Um, becoming less popular or more popular? No. Becoming, yeah. Becoming more popular. No, I don't think so. I don't think so either. It wasn't and broadcast I, nationally on it. It wasn't. And I think that uh, not only was it not broadcast on the live on the main feed, but also I don't feel like they really did any character building in the way that they've done for other sports or in the way that they've promoted for other sports. I know the Washington Post did an article on Caroline Marks. Wasn't that interesting? 
Um, I, I think it might've been the New York Times. I saw it on Instagram, did a post and probably a story attached to it for Nigel Houston, the skater. Yeah. It's compelling. You know, it was like his background of being, um, I forget which, maybe Jamaica, was it Jamaica that he's from? But like being born here, being taken back home to his parents' um, small island, being raised in poverty, his dad forcing him to skate, his dad like loved skating, got him into skating, came back, won, got some big contract when he was super young, spent millions of dollars, got a rap sheet, like got in trouble with the law, got like all of this character building that I was like, man, I want to know more about this kid. And I know I have an awareness of who he is. I just don't follow skating. So I didn't know any of that backstory. But the fact that the Olympics fed me that backstory, all of a sudden I was invested in him as an athlete. And of course, we know that they've done this in the past with lots of other sports and they've pulled us into the Olympics that way. I don't feel like they did that at all with any of the surfers. But to be honest, none of the surfers really have that interesting of a story, you know? Well, the other side of this too is from an aspirational standpoint, if I'm a young kid and, and I see some guy shooting an arrow into a, or I see a guy on a running a triathlon, all I really got to do is get up and learn how to run or get up and learn how to like shoot an arrow to learn how to surf. I have to learn how to swim. I have to deal with these incredible elements. Oh yeah. There's sharks. They're, like it just doesn't seem as attainable. Like if I'm, you know what I mean? Like you could see a yeah. kid going, wow, look at friggin' um, that Ledecky girl. She's an incredible swimmer. Mommy, I want to be a swimmer in the Olympics. Yeah. Okay. Throw them in the pool. You know, like it, it's yeah. just so much an easier track and even skateboarding. Okay. Nigel Houston's dad, get him a skateboard when he's four years old, Yeah, you know, and just surfing is just, aspirationally there's so many more hurdles and so it's just not gonna you're not gonna get that story like kid came from nowhere and became the olympic gold champ you know gold medal champion or whatever you know i agree um quick side note about learning how to surf yes um i mentioned i got together for dinner with some buddies on saturday night a couple of them two of them were visiting from minnesota and they're both in their late 50s and so our mutual friend was like, hey, the guy's nickname is Moose from Minnesota. So he's like, hey, Moose, it's on his bucket list to surf. He wants to ride a wave. And he's like, do you have a soft top? And I'm like, no, but I have a buddy who has a soft top. So I, sw- I go out of my way on Friday, swing by my buddy's house, pick up a soft top, uh, mule it over to Moose on Saturday night. And Moose is like, yeah, you know, I'm going to, what are the, what are the, are the waves going to be too big tomorrow? Are they going to be too small? Like what, what should I be prepared for? Cause you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to ride a wave because it's on my bucket list. I was like, Moose reset all expectations. (laughs) There is zero chance that you're going to ride a wave tomorrow. When do you fly home? If, because maybe you can spend five days trying to ride a wave and then maybe, and he goes, no, you don't understand. Like I've grown up, you know, snowboarding and this and that. And I wakeboard and I go, all of that helps with balance once you're on your feet, but that's like a year down the road. (laughs) Like you aren't, you're going to be just trying to find comfort laying on your board and paddling. Maybe you'll sit on your board. Maybe you'll learn how to catch a wave, but even that it takes so much time to figure out which wave to go on, which part of the wave, which one has the most push, like whatever. And he's like, man, you're really kind of deflating my 
you know, my, my hopes here. And I go, I'm just trying to set realistic expectations for you. Don't, don't beat yourself up if you don't stand up, you know? So he drank heavily. He got wasted on Saturday night. Right. So then, and they were going to go Sunday morning. So I'm like, dude, Sunday morning, there's probably no chance he even shows up. I got photos from my, our mutual friend at 7.30 with Moose standing on waves in trunks at 7.30 in the morning at Bolsa Chica, fully riding whitewash. Well, yeah, I, I don't think it's too much of an ask to get somebody to ride whitewash on their if first If he's day. in his, he's looking at 60, dude. He's like late 50s. Yeah, but you're underestimating Moose. Apparently power, so. Power of Moose. Apparently hold so. Hold on for a second, my dog. Okay. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You ever, think about, you ever think about getting a dog trainer to work with your dog's barking? My dog likes to bark to protect me. So he's, when he hears weird sounds, he goes out there and lets everyone know that stay stay clear bro stay clear of the compound do you ever think about getting a trainer to educate your dog about real <laughs> threats <laughs> if he if All he barks threats. in if he barks incessantly what are you living in fallujah <laughs> like... threats are real All threats are real that's what i've taught him <laughs> uh, okay this had nothing to do with needing to go to the bathroom of course not come on oh, okay. i'll let you know i gotta go to the bathroom um, all right. Well, shout out to Moose and congratulations on checking a bucket list item. I mean, I literally told him he's my hero. Like I, I completely talked him down and that is what I do best. Apparently based on our, <laughs> based on our lead up to the Olympics, just like, ah, the reset expectations. It's going to be flat. It's going to be cold. It's going to be crappy. And then I think, I think I'm responsible actually for all of these people's success because they, yeah. they feel a need to prove me wrong. So you you're motivated welcome, everybody. Yeah. Exactly. Um, John John Florence, let's stay with the Olympics for a minute. Yeah, John John sure. Florence loses to Chloe and Dino and may sit out the rest of the season due to his injury. Did you see this? No. 
John John said, anything I can do for my long-term health, I'm going to do. I'll most likely make the decision in the next day or two. The surgery I got was a repair and not a recovery. So I'm within the time frame that it's pretty good to compete, but waves like Mexico and Tahiti are very powerful. With a healthy knee, it's risky. So even if my knee is at 90%, it's a little more risk uh, than I wanna take. So I'm gonna take all that into account before I commit to those events. Okay, so he's not saying he's not going to go. He's, he's just not sure if he's going to go. He's going to make a decision in the next couple of days. Um, Probably get all, home, let him, his doctors assess it. This all sounds to me like he's not going to go. You know, I think he'd have to feel remarkably good to go because, yeah, I agree. And I, I by the way, I agree with his philosophy and that long-term health should be the focus here. Yeah. Mm. I mean, this year is kind of a waste anyway. Why not just hold on? Um, presuming you can secure his spot on next year's, you know, he won't be fighting for a wild card injury or whatever. Like he'll just get it. Um, then I would absolutely, yeah, sit out. I mean, it's it's a weird it's a weird year. Plus. Gabriel Medina has basically a lock on that first place position. A lot is kind of unknown about that finals day, or we're, we're unsure how that finals day format is actually going to look in hindsight. So I don't mind. I don't mind John John sitting out. I'd love to see him surf Mexico and Chopu, but whatever. I don't mind if he sits out. Let me ask you this. Who, um, who's our world champion right now? Gabe. Oh, our current world champ, Idolo? That's my point. Like, yeah, I think Idolo, it's Idolo 2019. Yeah. So Idolo Ferreira holds the gold medal and the world championship. Yep. Deservedly so. That's pretty cool. Good for him. Yep. I mean, honestly, I'm looking at him and Gabe as the ultimate sparring partners this year. I mean, they went back to back finals in Australia. Um, obviously coming off of the pipeline final in 2019, they met up this year at pipe to, or yeah, this season at pipe uh, for event number one, I think in the quarters or the semis. And so that's a real rivalry. I totally agree. And I think that that's something that they need to uh, highlight a little more. It's yeah. just, it's just a fact, you know, we've got the two greatest Brazilian goofy foots and yeah. uh even though we, you know, I sort of, at least, you know, I'm sort of secretly want like a nation versus nation rivalry. Yeah. It doesn't really matter because in many ways you have two complete opposite human beings. And, and as you mentioned a few weeks ago, Gabe Medina is totally growing on me. Like the guy's just too legit to not, it's kind of like when you see, you know, Nadal and Djokovic, you know, it's like, they're just too great not to appreciate both. You know what I mean? Look, when we have all of the concern about the Olympic venue and then Gabriel, and by the way, it's verified or validated by the first three or four heats you watch where it's just mediocre surfing, you know, and then you, and then Gabriel Medina shows up and entertains you and lands crazy airs. How do you not love that? I mean, first wave, like the, the Olympics, man, Gabe, just, mind-blowing first wave just friggin i know yeah so gabe what's not to love about him and by the way 
I feel like he saved that Australian leg of the tour this year too. You know, his performance is there. That spectacular left closeout air that he did, that it where he cleared like 30 yards, stuff yeah. like that. It's just, uh, you can count on him to rescue you if you're ever concerned about board the wave or yeah anything or just like seeing shows- you know like uh, yeah it's it's just gotten a little bit too three to the beachy you know well, in that respect i would like to actually condemn <laughs> yes here we jeremy, go back the to jeremy, the show <laughs> the jeremy florence is, or yeah jeremy flores is of the world you know and a, this is more a condemnation i can now throw the condemnation back at the wsl for venue choices because <laughs> When Jer- when the waves are big and pumping, Jeremy, of course, is the most exciting surfer in the lineup. But if it's the Olympic venue, like his style of surfing and even Michelle Perez, who surfed well in this event, you know, that style of surfing, it's just, it's, it's, you're looking for these kind of marginally better performances or waves than the other it's like is he going to get a six five or a six eight oh somebody got a six nine somebody pushed a seven like that we don't need that anymore we've had we have so many hours and hours and hours and hundreds of thousands maybe thousands of heats of that type of stuff over and over again we're at a point in this sport where it needs to be redlining at all times it needs to be what gabriel and idolo are doing that's all we're going to see. That's all we're going to reward. That's all we want to see. And there's only five of them that do it. Fine. We're having those five surfers, you know? Yeah. Like, I, don't I totally agree. This. Look, get me eight of the group, you know, eight really red hot surfers and put them at Kandui Island for that That's left it. for a week. And yeah. you'll have more viewers than you've ever had in your life. Totally. I mean, and, they, and, and if the WSL puts the kibosh on their athletes, fine. Get me Josh Kerr. You know, I'd like yeah. to see, I'd like to see Kalani Chapman, uh, uh, Josh Kerr, um, get Dorian. I mean, there's a point is there's a million red hot guys that we could get at that left out there. Where did you would come up sh- with Kalani Chapman? Just think about it. Kalani Chapman at, can, at eight foot. That's where he'll shine. <laughs> that's true. It's just, that's a deep pull. It is a deep pull, but that's my point. You can do deep pulls yeah. and be satisfied with the talent level. Yeah. You know? Um, so, I got a listener email I can read to you. This was sent to us originally in 2017. We never read it on air. And then he resent it. He resent it this week. Mark, he's a fan of those who spit. So uh, Mark deserves this to be read for his diligence. He said, most team sports have some sort of an all-star game where they uh, play during the season. It doesn't count for anything. And it's more for the enjoyment of the fans than anything else. I'd like to see the WSL have an all-star event. And here's how I would like it to go. This is where we go off the rails a little bit. Yeah, I remember I read this. (laughs) The initial idea was good, but now it goes sideways. Uh, It could be held at a wave pool. So you could pack out the place with fans. You could invite the top 10 men, top 10 women. You could divide them into two teams. Uh, Short boards don't need to be allowed. Long boards... You know, have them ride wrong boards, have them ride alternative short boards. It could be, there wouldn't be any traditional competitive kind of high performance surfing, but instead consist of a bunch of mini categories. You could use the best prop while surfing, the best pose while surfing, most team members riding the board at the same time. I know it's goofy, but that's the point. Just a really fun competition with no stress. Is this even a good idea? What kind of all-star event would you like to see? Keep on spitting, Mark. Uh. 
all-star event. It's hard enough to get the event done in good waves. I, I love the idea of an all-star event for all the reasons we stated. I don't need the props or the multiple surfers on one wave. I don't even need it in a wave pool. I actually prefer it's not in a wave pool, but I so love the say, idea of an so all-star event. All-stars at lowers in the finals day. Now you've just like That's, made, the, made the finals day way too long. It doesn't need to, it, yeah, it doesn't even need to be the same day. You know what I mean? It could be what you're saying, do a Kandui boat trip. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I don't know if that's an all-star game, but yeah. All right. Um, it's an exhibition, you know? Um, no, no, no. The Kandui thing is going to be for a million bucks. Like the Kandui thing is going to be like, it's on the fine. line, you know? That's fine. Yeah. I think that fits too. Um, the idea is take the best in the world and put them in an event where it's outside of the traditional um, point structure and all that sort of thing. It's just to watch the best surfers perform. Um, I had a, I had a discouraging, exactly in relation to what we're talking about right now, I had a discouraging text exchange with a WSL staffer who's dismayed by me saying that the WSL format is regressive and, du- <laughs> and doubling and doubling down, insisting that it is regressive, or I'm sorry, that it is progressive and right. that the surfing gets better on tour every year. And that's proof enough. And I thought, um, you must, oh, that's be, not, you that's must be getting some crazy emails from the WSL. You're on there. You, you've officially become like the one that they want to hate. Huh? Well, they're missing the point entirely then, okay. you know, like we're yeah. providing, we want them to succeed in their goal. And you just said that can do example. will get more viewers. All they want is viewers. Unless they do it. Unless the WSL does it. Whoever do does it. Is, my point is it doesn't matter who does it. WSL, Red Bull, you, me, whoever exactly. does that friggin' can do event or does an event at J Bay for four hours. I just want a four hour event. I don't need a four day event. That's my point exactly, is that we want them to achieve their goal in more viewership, more advertisers, all that sort of thing. And so us giving this feedback is a blueprint for that goal and and pointing out reasons why they're not actually engaging the market that they're aiming for. So you're right, if I'm on their list of people that they want to hate or don't want to listen to, then they're entirely uh, missing the point. You know, like they could be leveraging a lot of this feedback because there's value in it. I agree. Are you kidding? Um, All of your good ideas came from me anyway. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's not true. I know. The, I'm just kidding. the limited just number kidding. of surfers, the limited number of surfers you've been harping on for a decade. Um, but this is all in relation to us talking about stab high last week. Yeah. And me saying that that's a, that's a progressive format, you know, yeah. and whether or not it was filmed two or three months ago and edited or whatever, the point is it's elevating. It's requiring surfers to level up and to go yeah. bigger than they've ever yeah. gone before. And not just the surfers that are in the competition, yeah. the surfers that are also professional surfers on the CT watching that. You know, like Idolo Ferreira's air yesterday yeah. would have won stab high. You know, yeah. like that was everything gets bumped up because of what's happening in internet land and for free surfers who are just watching it and going to the beach and aspiring to greatness. So that was the comparison. And to the WSL's point or against their point is 
we're not beholden to them. They're, they should be grateful. There's not a lot of other competition that's vying for our attention right now, but stab has been making inroads with stab 100 and things like that. Red Bull's done it a few times and they're not beholden to all of the same infrastructure. So they can kind of reinvent the wheel and they will steal market share, you know? So purple blob tour. Exactly. Um, one or two other things, Luca Messinas from Peru, almost, I think he's, yeah, he's Peru, uh, almost was the underdog story that you and I were talking about who will come out of the Olympics and become, you know, like out of obscurity. And we were talking about Hiroto Ohara being that person. Luca Messinas really surfed amazingly. And um, I think he made the quarterfinals, took down some big names. And so shout out to him. It'd be nice to see more of him in the future. My beloved Carlos Munoz. He knows know. Well, he got the call up. Um, Federico Marias tested positive for COVID. Yeah. So Federico was supposed to surf in the event. He was not able to. So they called up Carlos Munoz at the last minute. And there was tons of jumping, plane flights, obviously, jumping through hoops. And ultimately, he didn't make it. There was one non-elimination round early, and so he knew he was going to miss that, but he was hoping to get there in time to surf the next round. And it was literally going to be a matter of kind of half a day, a few hours. And so they were petitioning the ISA to, or the whoever committee, to hold off the event for half a day so that Carlos could get there and represent. But ultimately, there was a limited swell window. And so they decided that, you know, we can't hold up and potentially run the finals in crappy waves just so Carlos can get here. So Carlos no showed, but it's exciting for a moment. Yeah. I noticed that he didn't make it. I saw his name on the draw and I was disappointed for yeah. you, for you mostly to, I mean, really that prediction from eight years ago, you know, it, it obviously failed, but there was a glimmer of hope that I could have been like Nostradamus and like I mean, against you, all odds nailed it. Just think if it was Matt Banting versus Carlos Munoz in the Olympic gold medal final. Gold you, and silver, baby. You would, have, you would have been like, people might've bought into some of this stuff. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't have even picked a winner if it was left up to me. They're just both. I would molt the gold and the silver together and then cut it in half and give them to both. Let me ask you this. The next Olympics are in Tahiti. They're going to be uh, at Chofu. Who's your women's gold medalist? Sally Fitzgibbons or Caroline Marks. What about, how about this one? I like Caroline Marks a lot. How about Sierra Kerr? Yeah. Huh? Done. Done. Dude, four years? How old is she now? Like 14? Yeah. She'll be 18. She probably will. Have, the only thing that she doesn't have is competitive chops, but she's got a father who does have competitive chops. So yeah. she's got a great coach. Yeah. Does she do enough competitions? Because when I think of Carolyn Marks and Sally, they're kind of bulldogs. Like they're yeah. going to charge over the ledge. And I know Sierra will too, or at least I believe she will based on stuff we've seen from her out of Indonesia. Um, that would be random, huh? And, and tell me about it. It wouldn't be random. It would be telegraphed a decade in advance. I mean, you're right. She's been, she's the shot has already been fired across the bow. She's doing gnarlier airs than the girls on tour. She's but, charging but at just Chopu, as, 
Chopra is going to be about charging. Because she's charging so. just as hard as the girls on tour. I mean, actually harder. I've seen gnarlier big wave barrel clips from her than I've seen from 99% of the women's world tour. Chopu is the one Olympic spot where we could see somebody like, um, like uh, Moana Jones, Joanne Derue, you know, winning the gold for men, you know, or for men, or what? What's uh, what's the French guy's name? Um, oh yeah, Joanne Derue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like a, 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 char- a charging goofy foot. You know yep. what I mean? That, that's yep, from yep. that's not on the CT. That's from Portugal or where you know, like some rando. That just charges, you right. know, like a guy like um, totally. Who's, who's the guy that was on the CT from Spain or from, or maybe he's from Eretz, uh, Aaron Buru. Yes, exactly. Eretz, that guy. He's just yep. a tube hound. Yeah. That guy could win the Olympic gold. You know what I mean? That's the cool thing about Chopu is that we know what we're dealing with here. We're going to be dealing with just who's got the balls to go over the ledge and get slotted. I mean, you know, Owen, Owen Wright comes to mind for Australia. You know, he's done well there before. He's, I think he's won there before, right? Jeremy uh, Flores. He's won Cloud France. Yeah. And by the way, Owen Wright really showed up and blowed up, blew up at the Olympics. <laughs> he blowed up, man. He did. He goes better. Yeah. So that was good to see him kind of back in fine form. I mean, it's, it's now's the time to start thinking about three years from now, right? Totally. And I hate to say it, but I think we've made our calls. Well, the women, I mean, ought to be out there on free surf trips. I know Lakey Peterson went last year. Um, Caroline Marks has been there for free surf, but you're absolutely right. Like this is where you start doing all the prep. Yeah. A uh, couple, couple of other things about the um, viewing experience. They were cutting away to commercials at a predetermined yeah. time. Yeah. So, you know, it'd literally be 90 seconds left in a heat with an important yeah. score being needed. A wave is on the way and they cut to commercial. And the commentators don't even call the cut. It just cuts abruptly. So they could get that sorted out, I think. Yeah, I got an email like that too from, from a listener that was disappointed in that. Um, Barton Lynch, the, your thoughts? The, com- the commentary team I thought was awesome. Yeah. Um, I thought this was actually an improvement on what the WSL does. So for those who didn't watch, you had Barton who knows exactly what's happening and providing all of the information paired with an English dude who didn't know anything about surfing at all, who's kind of representing arguably the vastest audience who doesn't know what's going on with surfing. So Barton's kind of educating him up. So I thought that that dynamic actually worked fine, but more importantly, they weren't trying to fill all 30 minutes of airtime. There was lots of dead air, which I thought worked totally fine. Yeah, I agree. Also more importantly, they weren't um, overly enthusiastic about every single wave surfed like we see in the WSL commentary booth. You know, like a surfer will surf a wave to a three and Joe Turpel acts like it's an important ride, you know? Um, whereas this was just a much more, I feel like honest and accurate reflection of what we were experiencing as the viewers. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they did a good job. The one thing I would say is that the sound quality was off a little bit. The audio quality, it seemed like they were picking up a lot of ambient wind or something. At least that's my, what my feed sounded like, but anyway, Mm. nitpicking. Overall, did you have thoughts on whether this was 
superior or inferior to what we're accustomed to? Um, I think if it wasn't the Olympics, we'd be poo-pooing this event. Okay. You know, like I don't think sure. I would tune tune in for for four to six foot onshore French beach break. I don't even think they would have called the event on. They probably right. went, you know what? Let's wait a little while. There's going to be offshore winds and a week or whatever. Again, we set our expectations so low that it provided yeah. excitement for us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, well, congrats on pulling off a great event. Um, I know Fernando. We're, we'll, Fernando again. We'll give a shout out to Fernando. Well, he's my Every, dude. Oh, is he? Oh, good. Go he's got to be. Yeah, he's my he's duke too. He's my duke too. You know Fernando personally, don't you? Yeah, I do. What? Tell us what do we need to know about Fernando? He's um, he's singularly focused in getting the Olympics, uh, surfing into the Olympics, and he succeeded. And he's he's a large personality. He's extremely driven. Um, he's politically savvy. He knows. At least he has a plan on how and when to get stuff done, and he follows through on his plan. And nine times out of ten, his plan seems to have uh, worked. And so, um, you know, he's he's a little bombastic, but um, that's what you know. I mean, I guess that you know, that's what they say about certain leaders. You know, it's, a lot of leaders need to sort of be outsized, and he's certainly an outsized personality. And um, and I like Fernando. I think he's a, I've had personal conversations with him and one-on-one he's, he's a great guy. Now he can, he can kind of big league you occasionally a big league me, you know, like, um, and I don't hold that against him. I think he's just, you know, he, like I said, he, he's got the will to get stuff done. And if you're in his way, he's not going to, he's not going to pussyfoot around you. He's just going to go, you're in my way, get out of the way. You know what I mean? And, Fernando, and, yeah. so Fernando Aguirre founded Reef Sandals, right? Is he a soul well, actually, his brother and he, Santiago. Okay. Got Santi, it, got it. Santi does, probably deserves more credit than he gets. So Santi is sort of like the backbone of the business. Um, at least, I, you know, I don't know too much about it, but you can't talk Reef without talking about Santiago as well as Fernando. But Fernando gets a lot of the limelight. Are they Argent from Argentina? Argentina, or is, yeah, yeah, Argentina. So, um, do you know anything about his backstory before he founded Reef Sandals? I think they were both lawyers or going to law school in Argentina or something, or they were going to continue their their you know when they were twenty two or whatever. And I think Santi started the business, and he came over here first. And I believe, and I could be butchering this whole story, so I apologize if I am, but I believe then Fernando followed him to the United States, and they were both surfers, and they. And, um, you know, they just, like I said, they just sort of forced through sure will, they forced themselves on the surf industry and you couldn't deny the market share that they had. Um, they saw a, gr a great opportunity in the sandal market and just dominated it. And, um, and once they took over, you know, they, they, like I said, they became sort of pillars of the surf industry in the eighties and nineties. Who did he sell that business to? some multi you know some conglomerate do you know what they yeah. made on it i don't know the number but it, they did very very well yeah so fernando and that was i mean 15 or 20 years ago at this point right so he's not involved with the brand anymore but fernando uh 
did well through that. And so for the last 20 years has kind of focused all of his efforts on the ISA in developing this concept that would eventually become the Olympics. And so that's the, that's the person that we're talking about with that level of kind of uh, drive, drive, passion, industry, um, clout, political well, you gotta influence, know-how. He went from, so he went from like being kind of a nobody in the surf industry and just, and just forcing his will on the surf industry and forcing his business and, and he killed it. And, and he became a huge part of the surf industry. And just as he was an outsider in the surf industry, he was an outsider to the International Olympic Committee politics. And he had to go in there and kind of go, hey, I'm here and I'm not leaving. And I'm sure some people brushed him aside more than once. And he put on an even louder tie. And, um, you know, he just got he knows how to get people's attention. And he sort of did what he did in the surf industry. He did that to the uh, Olympic politics, the space that is the Olympics, the international space. And he befriended the right people and got people into his corner and got advocates for surfing in the Olympics and made the right friends. And he's smart enough to know who those guys are. He identifies, okay, this is the guy I got to get in my corner. And he went out and got that guy in his corner. Yep. And that's nobody else. I, I doubt greatly we'd be in the Olympics. I mean, we all know we wouldn't be in the Olympics if it wasn't for Fernando. But I mean, we, we would be exactly where we were in 1977 as far as getting right. surfing into the Olympics, if it weren't for Fernando, because nobody had the friggin' the energy, the time, the money, the space, the, the, you needed a lot of things to line up. You know, other people are like, yeah, I could do it, but I'm busy doing my business, you know? Of and course. So Fernando is like perfect, perfect person for this. So Fernando's my Duke for all of those reasons and for charging ahead and like just rolling over obstacles and naysayers and haters and all of it. Yes. Uh, he saw the vision. He understood it. I don't know that there's a huge financial incentive for him in this. It seems to me that it's more of a passion play for surfing as a whole. And so um, I, I'm impressed. Well, yeah, we all should be. I mean, like I said, you know, if Fernando wanted to be the first guy to land on Mars, he would figure out the plan to make that happen. <laughs> what do you, what do you think about Fernando as a future WSL CEO? No way. He's he's way above that. Fernando's now in in the. He's either going to retire or he's going to go into the political sphere within the Olympics. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if Fernando's the president of the International Olympic Committee. Um, That's the kind of mojo this guy has. Like yeah. Mark my words, Fernando yeah. Aguirre will be the president of the International Olympic Committee in like 10 years. Okay. I said it here. First. Marked. Marked. Him and Carlos Munoz will be winning gold in that event. He won't have anything to do with Carlos Munoz. <laughs> Shots fired. Uh, um, all right. Well, so that's my Duke. Um, we, oh. I do want to, I do want to talk about Stab High. Episode one premiered last week. Episode two will be this Thursday at seven. Yeah. But we can, we can do that next week. We're running out of time, so we'll hit that yeah. hard next week. Yeah, good. Stab High next week. We'll talk about it. What do you need to tell people about the boardroom show, dude? It's happening uh, September twenty fifth and twenty sixth. Two months from now, uh, tickets will go on sale at the beginning of August. In about a week or so. Um. We've got a massive show planned. Uh, there's going to be a live stream. So if you're 
in Europe or England or uh, Australia or New Zealand or wherever the hell you might be. You can watch the show being live streamed by uh, Keyed In, a software business software company. And um, we've got Boardroom Talks presented by BoardShaper.com. We've got the Icons of Foam um, honoring Pat Rawson, eight shapers competing as we highlight and lift up the art and craft of building surfboards. And we've got um, How It's Made by Douglas Surf Company and RevChem Composites. And we've got Best in Show, surfboard builders from around the world bringing their uh, surfboards, their best created build, a board build off, if you will. And that's being brought to us by Zio Baffa Organic Italian Wines. And um, a whole lot of beautiful surfboards, the entire surfboard manufacturing industry. This is their trade show and uh, the public is invited and it's going to be a great, great show. We're excited about, of course, the whole thing presented by U.S. Blanks, uh, our sponsor for many, many years. And we appreciate everything that U.S. Blanks does for the surfboard manufacturing industry. And um, yeah. You talked about Keaton providing the software for the stream, the live stream. Where is it going to be viewable on? Surfline. Perfect. Yeah, it'll be live live streamed, distributed via Surfline and some probably some other platforms, but that's the main one. Sweet. Yeah. And of course, California Gold Surf Auction is happening a week after that. So uh, California Gold Surf Auction. um, Yeah, that's going to be insane. We've got something like 40 plus incredible uh, vintage surfboards and surf memorabilia. And I've got some mind-blowing stuff, man. We got a Simmons. We've got um, all sorts of incredible brewers and Bings and Yaters and um, you know Steve Liss, Skip Fry. We've got some just mind-blowing stuff. I'm really blown away by the level of stuff that we've got in this year's auction. How does it get better every year? I don't know, but this like the stuff that we've got, it's just more pristine. Like there's just stuff stuff we've got is just mental people are coming out of the woodwork it's beautiful i'm excited about it awesome all right scott well good show congrats exciting to watch the olympics what are you going to do now for the next week that we don't have surfing in the olympics i am very busy i'm busy 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 well the wct event in mexico kicks off on august 10th so we'll have one show before that we can kind of do a pre yeah. Look at the field, look at the forecast, figure out what's coming, and then uh, back into it, back into surf competition. That sounds like fun. I'm looking forward, actually, to watching that event at Barak. It would be really good. Me too. All right. All right. Well, Dave, until next time, adios and aloha. The Mississippi Delta was shining like a national guitar. Down the highway, through the cradle of the Civil War I'm going to Graceland, Graceland in Memphis, Tennessee I'm going to Graceland Poor boys and pilgrims with families And we are going to Graceland
she comes back to tell me she's gone As if I didn't know that As if I didn't know my own bed As if I never noticed The way she brushed her hair from her forehead And she said losing love Is like a window in your heart Everybody sees you're blown apart Everybody feels the wind blow I'm going to Graceland In Memphis, Tennessee I'm going to Graceland Thank you. 